Sometimes love is crap, and my grandma's not going to like that I use that word preaching, but uh, I couldn't think of another way to describe how love sometimes makes us feel, and the truth is love stinks because sometimes love is just crap. And uh, we've all been hurt by relationships that were characterized by the word love. I'll tell you that uh, I had a girlfriend when I was 17 years old, my first real serious girlfriend, the first girlfriend I had that I actually talked to, um, and, uh, and and I was in love, and, and she was in love with me, and then she did this crazy thing, and she broke up with me. She must not have been very bright, but uh, but she broke up with me, and it left me like in a place where I couldn't breathe, and I couldn't eat, and I couldn't talk, and looking back now, it's kind of funny, but at the time, it was not funny, and my grandma tried to tell me that someday you'll laugh about this, and I was so angry when she said it, and it broke me, and it broke me for a long time, and it affected relationships, romantic, uh, moving forward from that point and uh and I look back and and it's this relationship that I that I had that was characterized with the word love but yet she decided that it was through and over and it left this this funny taste this bad smell in my nose uh about this thing called Love. I actually wrote a poem right after that. You write poems when you get your heart broken. That's the best part about getting broken up with is poetry and songs just start flowing out of you. Uh, and and the, the poem actually became some lines uh, of a song that a friend of mine did. And, and this is how they came out in that song. You said that you loved me forever. You said that your heart was mine. Now it seems that forever is ended and I am left alone where you have left me alone and and so sometimes love hurts us and i think you all already in your heads you're like yeah i've been hurt in in some way by love and uh there are three types of natural love uh there are three types of love that we just kind of naturally experience and naturally give and naturally do the first one of those uh is called affection in, in our circles and this would be the type of love that a person has for somebody that needs them or that they need and the the easiest uh the most simple example is the love that a child has for their parents it's a love that came because of situation, not because they went out and they said, oh, you look like you'd be a good parent or anything like that. It's just a natural love of people, between people, even actually animals and humans, this type of love, where somebody needs someone or they're needed by someone. And so this, this affinity, this, this affection or this love comes between those two parties. You see it uh, in the parental relationship. You see it um, in the, the brother-sister relationship and just kind of the whole entire family where there's this dynamic where we need each other to survive and, and to grow up and to become the people that we want to be. And and so we love each other. And I say it can be between animals, too, because this type of love is actually seen uh, pretty easily between a, a dog and a, and a human being. Uh, if you've ever been around me and my dog, I mean, we had 10 minutes of cuddling this morning, even though I was late. That's probably why I was late. Uh, just because there's this need that he has for me to, to take care of him. Uh, and there's this affection between the two parties that has come out of that. The second type of love is one that uh, we don't characterized by love nearly as often and that is the love of friends friendship love is the second kind of love and if you go back a couple thousand years and you read poems and you read uh you read uh, historians and you read the scholars at the time they made a big deal 
out of love between friends. And uh, in our current culture, uh, what happened is that over time, people got scared to be looked at as homosexuals. And so uh, they kind of got rid of the word love. You can just be friends, but you don't express love towards people. And uh, and that's maybe not as true. Maybe people aren't as scared of that anymore, but it still exists in some circles and probably especially Christian circles where we're afraid to express love towards people because we don't want to give people the, uh, the wrong idea. And so friendship is this other kind of love. It's a unique and kind of pure love because it's the only love that's not needed uh, for us to sustain life. Uh, you need the affection of, a, of a, a, a mother towards her baby in order for that baby to live and you need the romantic kind of love, the love I'll talk about in a second to make that baby in the first place. Uh, but friendship is this kind of pure, unique love and the fact that, that you don't really need it, it's just something that you want. And it doesn't come because of situation. It actually comes because uh, of, of similarity. And, and you are friends generally with people that have the same passions as you and enjoy doing the same stuff as you. That's how friends are made. The third type of natural love is romantic love. It's the type of love that we celebrate or don't celebrate in the month of February because of Valentine's Day. It's the the type of love that we know best because it seems to be the only type of love that the media wants to talk about. And it's this type of love between two people who are friends and are attracted to each other physically. And so they decide to enter into a relationship uh, that does have sex as part of it uh, sometimes, but not... Uh, that's not what this type of love is. And sometimes because of our culture, we, we associate this romantic love with sex. But they're not the same thing. They just can go together. And, and you look at these three types of natural love. And then just stop for a minute and think about the dark side of these types of love. I sat at Starbucks the other day next to a lady and her daughter. And the lady says to her daughter, who's maybe six, seven years old, what do you think the State of the Union address is? Like, wow, this girl's smart. But she wasn't smart. She was average, apparently. She was normal because she said, I don't know. And her mom looked at her and said, come on, think about it. I said, I, I don't know. And the mom starts to get agitated and angry. And she said, think about the words. Lady, I, I, I was real close. I was, I was doing my sermon. I'm ignore, trying to ignore it. And, and her daughter is getting more and more frustrated. And, and it's like... I don't know. She's like, state. Okay, state, right? If you're a seven-year-old and you think of state, you think of Oregon, first of all. So this mother was the idiot in the situation. But she just got more and more mad. And I saw the daughter just get more and more frustrated. And you could tell her feelings were hurt. And my first thought is this girl's going to rebel someday. And this is going to be a horrible relationship. I, I, and I, I, I would bet money on it right now. Now I'm betting and saying crap all in one sermon. But what can you do? And it's this dark side of love where, where she's looking at her daughter and she's probably thinking, I'm, I'm going to love you and I'm going to help you learn. And that's an important part of being a parent, right? But in it, I could see so clearly that it was not any longer about helping this little girl learn. It was about the mom wanting to feel like her daughter was smarter, wanting to look good, wanting to think nice things about herself and her parenting ability. It was this dark side of love and it looked pretty evil to be honest with you. I mean, even dogs bite you. They're man's best friend, but they'll bite you. But just some more human relationships, this kind of uh, affection. Uh, you, you look and there's physical, verbal, and sexual abuse, and it's just so common. 
And usually when those things are happening, they're characterized by this word love. I mean, people do these heinous things and they say that they're doing them out of love. You can look at this desire to to make the other person look good so that you look good. And in Wilsonville, I see this just all over the place. You just the kids here are just put on a stage. For, it's a funny thing to say when you're on a stage, but they're put on a stage from the time that they're little, and you can you can see it just all the time. If you go to like a kids choir concert in this community, it's not about the kids enjoying themselves. It's about the kids looking good so that the parents can look good. It's a dirty little secret of the Wilsonville community is that people don't really care if their kids succeed they care that their kids succeed so that they look good and it's evil and it's this dark side of this thing called love and then brothers and sisters and family you've seen them fall apart and people end up angry at each other and so in this kind of natural affection we see that a lot of times it just leaves people hurt and we go what why why is love good if it if it ends up like that in friendships you know these things i mean like there's story after story of how our friends hurt us. If you ever went through middle school, then you can look back and say, like, man, I thought those people loved me and they said the meanest things to me. I remember, like, it was yesterday, one of my best friends in grade school saying, you're only cool because you hang out with us. Which is always true, by the way. You're always only cool because the people you hang out with, really. Uh, but nonetheless, I remember, and we were friends for a long time after that. I would still, if I saw him, feel like a friend towards him. But it hurt me at, like, a deep level. It's like, there's a person who loves me, and it doesn't feel very good. And you've heard stories or maybe been a part of people like turning their backs on somebody in the time of need or maybe stabbing somebody in the back and, and doing something to them that never should have been part of a friendship. And it's like, wow, is love even good? I mean, is it? This is even good. And then romantically, I mean, that's the easiest to see. I already said, like, someone breaks up with you, and you're like, well, you said you love me, and now you're saying you never want to see me again. That's weird. Like, that doesn't feel very loving. That's weird. And, and then, you know, like, there's affairs that happen every day by spouses who say they love their spouse. There's also abuse, verbal and physical, in relationships that are characterized by this word love. There's things like rape that take place where people say, I love you, and then they rape somebody. And it's like, this, this is not a good thing. And the truth is, if we were to stop and think about these natural loves for just one second... We might ask this question. Is love any good? Is it worth doing? I mean, if love is going to get me hurt so bad, should I even try? Should I even invest? Should I even give it a shot? And and truthfully, and hopefully you're not one of these people, but maybe you are, there's a lot of people in our world who have in certain relationships said, I'm not going to love. I'll be nice. I'll be cordial, I'll hang out, but I'm not really going to invest. For some people, you know, that's with their kids even. Some people, that's with their parents. Like, I can't really really invest in that because I've been hurt by that type of relationship too much. For some of you, it's friends. And and I know in our church there are people who who are scared to dive into that thing called love. And it's probably because at some point you've been hurt by somebody that called you a friend, you got made fun of or something. And and you're like, I just, I don't want to do it. Again, I mean, I, don't, I, I will I'll hang out and I'll be around you, but I don't, I'm not going to really love. 
in this friendship. And, and some people it's romantic and, and you know, I mean, that's the easiest one, right? I mean, because every movie has these moments where somebody's hurt. And it's funny in movies because people always can jump right back in and do it again. But we know the truth romantically when we've been like really, really hurt. It's very, very difficult to say I'm going to love in that type of way again. I mean, we just want to be away from it. We're never going to see another girl again. You know, we're never going to see another guy again. I mean, it's it's hard to get back involved in it. And so the question for today, the question that, that maybe somewhere inside of you, maybe you've never even thought about it because we don't like to think I'm not a loving person, but, but maybe somewhere deep like inside of you because of some hurt that took place in your past, you just are like, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to love? In this series, we'll answer one big question, and that is, what is love? And we'll find a definition of love that that is beyond natural, beyond those types of love. But today, we need to ask before we even look at what love is, is love worth it? Is it something that we need to do? Is it something we should invest in? Is it something we should put ourselves on the line Thankfully, we're not the first people to be in relationships that were characterized by love, but didn't look anything like love. There was this church about 2,000 years ago in a city called Corinth. And in this church, a church that would have talked highly about love, would have said, I love you to each other far more than we would with our friends and the people we go to church together. They had all kinds of things going on that did not feel or seem very loving. First of all, they were fighting over what Christian leader to follow. So much that it was like pulling at the seams of the church. People were like, I follow Paul. And the other guys like, I follow Apollos, who were, who were Christian leaders at the time. And it's so bad. And they're arguing so much that, that it's like causing problems in their church. They're like, I love you, but you're stupid for following Paul when I follow Apollos. Maybe you're not convinced that that's a love problem. But how about this? Uh, they took pride in the fact that a man was sleeping with his father's wife. They literally took pride in it. And if you're like part of that church and, and you're not one of those people, you're like, that, that doesn't seem very loving. I mean, what's going on here? I mean, that is weird and messed up, but these people are all excited about it and they're talking about their love for one another. It doesn't seem like love. That seems weird, but it doesn't seem like love, but they're saying love to each other. They were suing each other. I mean, how, like, um, I mean, literally, like, they were taking each other to court over things. Like, hey, I love you. I'll see you at church later today. Uh, but right now, I'm taking you down to court because I need to get some more money from you. That's not loving, but yet they characterize these relationships by love. They seem to be curious about whether they should divorce their unbelieving spouses. No, like, I, I love you. I mean, think about the unbelieving spouse in that situation. Like, the, the person's like, I love you, but I might divorce you. I might leave you. That doesn't feel very loving, and these relationships are characterized by love. They were coming to church, and they were flaunting their God-given gifts, making other people feel stupid for not having their gifts, the same abilities and skills that God had given them. And they're like, look at me. I'm way cooler than you. I love you, but you're not nearly as awesome as me. You're only cool because you hang out with me. These people are like, what is this love? Is, does this even matter? I mean, is this even important? I'm sure they were wondering that. 
And then they were going, this is the, this is the craziest part, they, were, they would go to these things called love feasts where they would celebrate communion. This was a normal part of their church service. They called them love feasts. And they would celebrate the love that Jesus had for them. And it was supposed to be like this bonding time where you bonded over the love of Christ. And what would happen is that people with money would eat before they came, or excuse me, when they got there, they would sit there and they'd eat and they'd eat super nice meals. And there'd be like a homeless guy in the corner who was hungry and didn't have anything to eat and they wouldn't feed him anything. And so this guy's over there like starving, and these people over here are having a feast to the point they're getting drunk. And they're like, hey, Bob, I love you, man. And Bob's over there like, I don't have any food. These people are like us because they're, they're probably wondering, like, is this worth it? I mean, I know because I'm a Christian that I'm supposed to go to church with these people and I'm supposed to love them. But I'm pretty sure that it, this, this is not working. Something is wrong. And Paul, the apostle, if you've heard of him, a man who wrote most of the New Testament in our Bible, writes them a letter to address these issues. And near the end of the letter, he writes this this beautiful, beautiful chapter about love. We're going to talk about this next week, but he uses a different word for love, a word that is not a natural kind of love. It's actually a word that is fairly unique to Christians in the Greek language. They kind of made it their own word. But this morning, I don't want to talk about that word. I don't want to begin to define it. But I want to look at these first three sentences that Paul says. Because in them, he declares emphatically that love is worth it. That, that you need to love. That no matter how scared or how difficult or whatever it might be for you, you need to do this thing called love. Even if you don't understand it, he's going to explain it to you over the course of the next few weeks. Even if you don't understand it right now and you're like, I don't know what love is and I, you're, I thought you were going to tell me today. Even if you don't get that, Paul says, look, love is important. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now the first thing he says here, if I speak in the tongue of angels or men, that just that goes right to where they're at. If you read chapters 12 of 1 Corinthians and chapters 14, you'll find that they're long sections on the speaking of tongues. And speaking of tongues, for those of you who don't know, is the spiritual gift that comes upon people where they speak a language that they do not know or they speak some type of heavenly language that does not exist on our earth. And in the Corinthian church... This was like the end-all, be-all of gifts. And there was a reason for that. The people in Corinth, not just Christians, the whole city, believed that people could be closer or further to God. And the way that you figured out whether somebody was close or far from God was whether or not they could offer utterances was the word that they would use. These kind of words that didn't make any sense, this babble that nobody understood. They actually called epilepsy, where you have seizures and you make babbling sounds, they called that a divine disease because they thought it was so important to be connected to the gods in a way that caused you to spout things out of your mouth that didn't make sense. Now, picture you live in Corinth. You accept Jesus as your Savior. You no longer believe in these false gods who bring on this babbling. And you find out that there's this gift called tongues. 
And it can give you this heavenly language, the language of angels even. Or it can make you speak a language that you have never understood before. I mean, you just start speaking German right now and it would just come out of your mouth. And, and, and you got like your neighbors and your friends and all the people that you hang out with. And they're just like, they're not Christians yet, but they're obsessed with these divine utterances. And now you know in some way that you have some access to this. Or you have a picture of what it looks like from these other people who are really doing it. All of a sudden, tongues is like the gift I mean, it's like the thing. And so these people in Corinth, they don't care about anything else. They're just coming to church. And whoever can speak in tongues is just going on and on and on and on. And then church kind of ends. Nothing good is happening. And so Paul, right at the very outset, says, look, if you have your favorite ability, the thing that you think is the most important thing in the world, but do not have love, then you are a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Let me make it a little more contemporary for us. There's two gifts that we value in the American church today. Uh, that would be preaching and musical ability, right? And, and, and so Paul, let's say he inserts that there. I mean, he, he looks at these people and he says, look, if you have the ability to preach like nobody's business, you're the greatest preacher of all time, or you the, have the most beautiful voice, or you play guitar like, like nobody in the whole world, you're like Santana, but you're, you're a Jesus follower. Uh, I mean, that's you you're awesome you're incredible if you do that but there's no love involved in it then this is what it sounds like doesn't matter i mean it's just clanging the truth is what he's saying is if i get up here and i preach the best sermon that i've ever preached in my life but i don't love you when i do it then i'm just a clanging symbol i don't what i say does not matter And so the first thing that Paul makes very clear, and this is so important, is this. Without love, I offer nothing to other people. Without love, I offer you nothing. And you know this to be true, right? Have you ever, like, had somebody do you a favor or, like, hey, I'll have a conversation with you. I'll talk you through that difficult time in your life. But you could just tell that it was just obligation, you could just tell that they didn't care, they didn't really love you, they weren't, you weren't important to them. And so you're sitting there and you're trying to talk to them, you're trying to pour out your feelings and they're like checking their watch and they're, they're like, you could tell they're happy, they're doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing. But it's, it's doing nothing for you. And it's like not important to you. Or going back to parenting, right? Like you've seen parents who do kind of all the right things. And they provide and they teach and they make sure the kid has the clothes that they need and going to school and doing the right stuff and they discipline when they need to, but there's no love involved. And and those children turn out poorly oftentimes. And Paul makes just very clear without love, you can offer nothing to others. You might be eloquent, they might think you're awesome, but truly at the end of the day you offer nothing to them. He continues, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Now, the gift of prophecy is one, if you were to flip your Bible just one more page to chapter 14, you'd see that that Paul speaks very highly of this gift called prophecy. It's really the ability to give God's point of view on something. And sometimes if you think of prophecy, you think it's about telling the future and, you know, this prophetic word or whatever. But most of the time in Scripture, what it is about is plain and simply saying, this is what God thinks. The Spirit of God has spoken to me, and God thinks that we need to do this in our church or that America is headed in this direction or whatever it might be. And so Paul speaks very highly of this gift. 
But here he says, even if you have it, but do not have love, if he has it and does not have love, he is nothing. And then you start to see really his hyperbole, right? Because he says, if he can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. I mean, this is this way. If you know everything, that's what he's saying. If you know everything that there ever was to possibly know, if you know absolutely everything that the world ever had to know, and you've read all the books and understood everything, and there's no question that's too difficult for you, even then, and if you have faith that can move mountains, I mean, that's pretty good faith. Uh, first Corinthians, excuse me, no, Matthew twenty-one twenty-one says, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. And I'm sure that the people in Corinth had read that, heard that. Jesus once said this, and I'm sure there's like a lot of people, and may, I, I've, this has been me before, but like they're looking out at Mount Hood, which wouldn't have been for them, but for us, Mount Hood, and they're like, if I just have faith, I'm going to see it shift. It's going to move. It's going to go right, right? And you're driving down the freeway, and you're almost crashing because you're trying to get your like faith, 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 move Mount Hood, and, and it hasn't happened yet. And so Paul, like with this hyperbole here, says, Even if your faith was so good and so strong that you could move Mount Hood to a different location just based on God's power in your faith, even then, even then, you would be nothing without love. Now, that's not something I like. Let me just be honest with you. I'm a little bothered by Paul's language. It doesn't fit... uh, my American modern kind of mindset that says we don't call people nothing. Um, and, and there's a couple of things to make really clear about what he means in, in that sentence. First of all, he is not talking about whether others love you. You see, we kind of have that backwards, don't we? In our society, don't you kind of think like if people don't love me or not enough people love me or not everybody loves me, then I feel like I'm not good enough or worthy enough or important enough. I'm not anything. I'm just nothing. Paul kind of flips that on its head. And he says, no, 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 no. It's not about who loves you. If you don't love, that is when you are nothing. This isn't about whether your parents liked you or whether you have friends or, or anything like that or letting you get a date or anything like that. This is, this is about whether or not you love. If you want to be fulfilled and you want to be whole, then what you need to do is not find more people to love you, but find more people to love. Now, the other part that's really important is in the context here. I mean, the context of Scripture, you need to understand that the Bible says all people were created in God's image. And so, therefore, we are valuable and we are worth and we have worth and we are good and, and in some way. And, and so the, Paul is not saying, like, you are worthless. He's saying that your impact on the world is nothing. Everything's a total waste. Your life is a total waste if you do not love. Let me say it one more time. If you are not loved by other people, it's not a thing. For Paul here. But if you are not choosing to love others, then your life is a waste. Without love, we offer nothing to others. That's really key. But without love, you waste everything. You're a waste. You go through life saying, I'm just going to hang out and I'm going to watch TV. And I'm not going to really engage in anybody. And I'll post some stuff on Facebook. But I'm not really going to be involved in people's lives and love people. Then your life is an utter, total waste. That's what Paul is saying. And then he says this 
I mean, this is crazy. Like, this seems like it would be love, right, in and of itself. But he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I mean, if you give all you possess to the poor, that seems like pretty loving, right? But we can think and we can process with me right here. We've known people who do things simply so they can feel good, right? I mean, they write a check. They don't really care about people. They they send off the money and they think, oh, I did a good job and I feel really good about myself. I mean, most of the money that's given to help poor people uh, in, in our country comes because people feel guilty. Uh, the number one kind of giving is guilt giving, right? And, and you know it's like they put the puppies that are beaten on TV and so you write a check. Or they put the, the starving children on TV and, and so you call the 1-800 number and you give 39 cents a day. And, and you give that money because, because you feel guilty and your only goal, the only thing that you really care about doing it is making your guilt go away. Try to be really careful about that in church because truthfully, a lot of times in church, people just give because they feel guilty. And we don't want that at our church. We want you to give because you know it's the right thing to do and you know that it's really your responsibility as a, as a member and a, a person at our church. And, and so we want you to give not out of compulsion, as the Bible said, but with a joyful heart, a heart of love for what we are doing here. He's like, hey, even if you give all of your money, which would be a lot... Not for me, but for you, maybe. But, I mean, it would, that would be like a big percentage-wise all. Like, you'd be living on the streets, even if you give all of it away to help the hurting and the broken. But you don't have love. You gain nothing. And then, then this is even the craziest part. If you give over your body to hardship. He's talking about, like, literally being persecuted physically for your Christian faith. The later uh, scribes that wrote down the Bible before the printing press was invented, some of them actually changed this to having your body be burned because they were looking around them and they understood what Christian persecution in their century looked like. You know, like these people are being burned and they actually, they, they wrote some of the manuscripts down incorrectly and wrote that, that being burned. Even if you allow for yourself to be burned for the sake of Christianity, but you don't love, you gain nothing. And at this point, if you're like me, you're like, who does that if they don't love Jesus? I mean, that's weird. And that's because we live in a very different society. We don't live in a society where honor of your name once you die is the most important thing. We live in a society where right now is the most important thing in me feeling good. And I'm not saying one's better or worse. It's just the reality of the situation. And, and so if you were to go back a couple thousand years... I mean, you find that people will kill themselves in order to preserve the honor of their names once they're gone. And what was happening, and I, this is hard to believe, uh, these people would, would be killed in order to look good in the Christian circle. That's weird, right? I mean, that's, that's like a, a strange. And so they're like, I, I don't know, I have nothing to live for. And I'm going to go out looking like I died for Jesus. And so they weren't loving. They didn't really care about Jesus. They just wanted themselves to look good. It seems like if anything without love is cool, like giving yourself for Christian martyrdom is like the thing. And Paul says that if you do it without love, you gain nothing. And what I think he's saying is that God is looking down. He's going to see you. And just because you do this great thing of giving your money away or giving your life, for him, if you do it 
and it's not done out of love for others or love for him, then there's no reward, there's no benefit for you. And even on top of that, even in this life and why we live right now, we kind of know this to be true, right? Have you ever gone through the motions when you're doing something and you find it totally unfulfilling? The kids' audio that we produced this week, go listen to it. It's a great illustration of this. But we tell this story uh, about a boy and a girl who go and they go help at a, at a shelter where people, their mom and their church are donating things. And they go the first time and they go just begrudgingly because they had been playing tag. And, and it's totally boring and they wander around and they think about how tired they are the whole time. At the very end, they meet a, a, another young man who says to them, I don't have any toys. And so they go back the next day excited to be able to share their toys with this young man. And at the end of the story, we say something like, it wasn't just the stuff that made an impact. It was the love of the children. And the truth is, when we really engage with love, then it, then it is something happens different inside of us. I mean, we can show up here on a Sunday morning and go through church and do all the right stuff and go away. And you won't feel that fulfilled when you walk out of here. And God won't care about it that much. But if you come here and you're like, man, this is my church and I love those people. And I want to care about the people. And I want to see how they're doing. And I want to ask if I can pray about anything. And I want to make sure that people who look kind of lonely, that, that, that they know that somebody in this place loves them. And you're going to walk out of here going, wow, I gained something today. That was fulfilling. See, Paul just, I mean, makes it clear. He says, without love, you don't affect anybody else. Without love, your life is a waste. And without love, you gain nothing. And if I can put it in one just short sentence, without love, nothing matters. So Paul is saying, he's saying we cannot give up on love no matter how many times it's hurt us, no matter if every relationship that we have classified with the word love has hurt us, we cannot give up on it because without love, nothing matters. It doesn't matter how great I am. It doesn't matter how many gifts I have. It doesn't matter how much stuff I do, how many hours I give to whatever it might be. None of it matters. This is true for all people. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, this is true. When you can do all the right stuff, you can raise your family, your kids and your family in, just, in a way that seems perfect to the outside, but if you don't love, none of it matters. You can have friends where you hang out with them and you kind of do all of the right, you, you make sure that they're taken care of, you provide for them when they need help, you show up to move, but if you don't really love them, then it doesn't matter. You can, you can stay married, even if you don't like your spouse. You can just stay married. You can go on and on and on and be married and be faithful and never have an affair or anything like that. But the truth is, if there's no love, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for your spouse. It doesn't matter for the world. It's worthless and it's not gaining you anything. Paul is saying that we cannot give up on love because, because nothing matters without it. And so here's, here's just what I want you to just take away from this today. We haven't got to our definition of love. You can see much of it in front of me and in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 4 through 7, which we'll examine over the next two weeks. And we'll look at this definition of love and this type of love that's not natural. But I just want you to think about the relationships that you have. Even the ones that you're doing all the right stuff in. 
And I want you to ask yourself if you are truly loving, because if you don't love without love, none of it matters. I mean, think about your kids if you have kids. A lot of you are new parents, and right now you're making decisions about how you raise them, and you're probably trying to do the best that you can, most of you. And I just want you to just ask this single question in your head as you go home today. Is the stuff that I'm doing just stuff that I'm doing, or is there love behind it? And if you have a baby, they won't be able to tell the difference right now. I'll just tell you the truth. As long as you're feeding them and you're changing their diapers, they're just going to think it's great. But when they're like three, four years old, they're going to notice. And so right now, I just want you to ask the question. I mean, is, am I doing this just because? It makes me feel good. I know I should. The law says I have to. Or because I love my kids. Another one that, that I, I know we've dealt with in our family, but you, you know, you're, maybe some of you, it's your parents who are getting older, and you're, you're in a place now where you're taking care of them, and you can kind of show up and hang out at the retirement home every now and then, and make sure that they have the things they need, call and check in, uh, and do all the right stuff, or, or you can make it matter by actually having love behind all of those things. By not just showing up and you know the difference. Even if you don't have like a definition of love in your head, you know the difference, right? Going through the motions does not matter. Without love, nothing matters. For some, uh, you, you know, you help out your family. But every time you do it, you complain and you hate them and you're like, oh, I have to help you again. You're just, uh, Uncle Buck has always got to ask me for something, you know. And, and, and you, can, you can choose to just keep helping Uncle Buck or whoever it might be uh, and just going through it because it makes you feel good or you're supposed to or whatever. Or you can love. One matters. One does not matter. You might as well say, I'm not going to help you move again. I'm not going to write you a check if you're not going to love. And your friendships. And this is this one is, I just, ah, man, I read it in preparation for the sermon series, a book, well, I listened to lectures called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, and he just talks so passionately about friendship, and it just, it just got me excited. And I look at my friendships, and to be honest with you, sometimes I, I just kind of make sure that my friendships stay, and I make sure I spend enough time with people to kind of keep them my friends, because I do like them, and I do love them. But I don't really love in my friendships enough. And so I, I just, I, when you leave here, just ask a question like, are you a friend who loves or are you just a friend who kind of goes through the motions? Are you just a friend who's kind of there to keep the person around to make sure that they can help you out? Or are you really loving people? In your romantic relationships, I tell you what, I mean, I, I just... Uh, I look at so many marriages that last forever, and, and this is, if you're not a Christian and you're married and you hate it, you'll probably get divorced. But if you are a Christian, a lot of you just hang on, you just kind of go through the motions, you keep doing it because you don't want to get divorced because the Bible says you shouldn't get divorced. And, and really what Paul's saying is like, if you go through those motions, it's not going to have any positive effect unless you love. Even if you've been hurt, even if it's terrible and you can't imagine trying to do it again, he's saying it won't matter. If you do not love, so some of you need to go home and you, need, you just need to love your spouses. Not go through the motions, not do the right things. Sometimes going through the motions and doing the right things is a part of love. But don't, if you do that enough, it's just not going to do any good. It's not going to matter unless you love. Right before I became the pastor of the church, the head honcho here, we were at our young adult group when we were still, when I was still running that. And we did this activity. And uh, 
Uh, it's a great activity. It's an activity that we'll do in our connect groups at some point. And um, we just took a rock out of a bag and uh, the person who was leading it already had uh, words written on these rocks. And so we grabbed a rock out of the bag and uh, it has a word and they're good words like joy and grace and comfort and peace and love. And we, we grabbed the rock and we took the rock and we spent five or so minutes in prayer just really asking why, why would God have me get this rock today? And we're not saying that God ordained the rock. It's not a theological statement. But why? What about this word would God... Why would he want me to have this? And I got the word love. And it's really changed the way that I, that I began this job as, as your pastor uh, and the way that I approach ministry. Because there are so many days and times when I can just choose. And I knew right away what it meant. I need to love people. Uh, I can just go through the motions. I can get things done. I can sit down with you and have coffee and listen to your story and hear what you need to say. And I can make sure the stuff gets done for church. And I can preach a sermon. And I can do all that stuff. And I can probably do it pretty well without love. But it does not matter. And I've seen, just to be honest, I, I put myself down enough when I preach. I'll just be honest and say something very good about myself. I've seen a major difference because I've chosen not just to deal with the people in our church, but to love the people in our church. Even when, not you personally, but everybody else here can, bothers me, uh, and they don't show up on time, and they're annoying. Uh, even then, I've made a decision to say love first. I mean, if it's like, oh, I really need to make sure that this never happens again, and I need to have that conversation, I, I just have made a decision to say, if the conversation can't happen without me being loving, then I won't have the conversation and I'll deal with it. And it is it has been so important. One stupid little rock with a word on it has been so important in this ministry. And what I'm telling you, what, what Paul is telling you in this letter on love, before we even understand love, you need to make a decision to say love absolutely matters. And even if I've been burned by it every time I've tried it, I have to keep trying it. I have to keep doing it. Because if I don't, then none of it matters. It won't have any lasting effect on other people. It won't have any lasting effect on my life. I won't gain anything. I just want to close by thinking about what if. I mean, what if people didn't just kind of half-heartedly approach their lives. They didn't just go through the motions. They didn't just get stuff done because they had to, but they really, really chose to love. I think it would change everything. I mean, I look at our country, especially in my generation, I look at the way people approach work. I talked about this with John, who's a new contractor, and, and the things he sees in certain people um, that he works with, and, and the way they kind of just get a job done, and you pay them a good chunk of money to get something done in your house, and they kind of get it up and get it done. But what if, like, every contractor out there, they said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love the people that I work for. You pay me money, and I'm going to do my absolute best for you. Wouldn't, it like, wouldn't, it, wouldn't we trust people more? Wouldn't it be like we would hire people more? We, the world would look different. I mean, what if every time people went to work, they didn't just go to work like, oh, i got to punch in and punch out. But they said, look, I'm here. I'm, I'm not just going to go through the motions. But I'm going to love. Whether it's the customer I love, whether it's the boss I love, whether it's my coworkers that I'm loving, I'm going to love. When I go about this, 
Wouldn't that like change our world radically? Because right now I think we have a lot of people who do a lot of stuff and they think it's pretty good. And Paul is saying, hey, you don't love. And so it does not matter. And think about our church, and we have a very loving church, and so I'm a little bit just encouraging you to keep going and preaching to the choir. But, but I mean, what if every single time we got together, it wasn't out of obligation, it wasn't because we wanted to get filled up, it was because we wanted to show other people love. And we said, I can sing all the songs, and I can listen perfectly to the sermon, and, and I can come every single week, and I can do all of the right stuff, but if I don't love... None of it matters. The truth is, if you're not here because you love God and love other people today, then you would have been far smarter to sleep in, wake up late, and sit in front of the TV waiting for the Super Bowl. So Paul's saying, what you do does not matter unless you do it from a place of love. And so my encouragement for you, before we even know what love really is and we discuss all of that, is I want you to go home this week. And I want maybe just look at one of your relationships. If you could just look at one relationship and you would just say to yourself, you would just say, am I just going through the motions or am I really loving? And, and if you really, if you want extra credit, if you really, I mean, go home and read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, which you see right here in front of me. Go home and read that. And then this would be like a bonus step. You'd be way ahead of the curve for next week. And just say, is what I'm doing, does it line up with that? Or am I just kind of going through the motions? I want you to matter. I don't want you just to do stuff. Life is too short just to do a bunch of stuff. Just to satisfy yourself and just to feel like you're doing the right things. And the only way that you can really matter, the only way, is that if you put love into the things you do, and you take a chance by loving other people that might hurt you, that might leave you broken, but you take a chance and you love them. Will you pray with me? Lord, Sometimes it's hard to love, God, and there's some people that are difficult to love. There are things from our past that make it hard to love. There are there's just so many complications when it comes to love, God. We see that in church. We see that in our families. We see that in our relationship with our parents or our children, God. We see that in our friendships. But Lord, what I'm praying right now, especially over these next four weeks, that our people in this church, people that have heard this sermon today, would take a chance on love. Lord, because without it, it just doesn't matter. And we believe you. I believe you, God. And I see that. And and so, God, I pray for the people who sit before me today. I pray that they would go home, God. And they would examine whether or not their relationships are just there for themselves or because they're supposed to be. Or whether they are actually loving in those relationships. And I trust God as we begin to ask that question and we examine what love is over the course of the next three weeks, God. I trust that lives will be changed. Relationships will benefit. I trust, God, that you will do incredible things through it. Lord, we we love you and we thank you for loving us. In your name, amen.